Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and I'm always looking forward to time with Mark Muska because he's my friend. Mm-hmm. And we just like hanging out. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then all of a sudden we're hanging out and we think to ourselves, oh, we have a radio show to do. The mic is on. The mic is on. The little red light is on. And mm-hmm. that indicates that people m- may be listening and some great questions are already coming in. Okay. Um, here's a question. But I want to start, if you don't mind, Mark, going back to what we were just talking about in the last half hour about that passage in Matthew chapter 7, mm-hmm. when it talks about not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father. And I, I was thinking, are there, are there, were there those people that were very religious, obviously, were, did they think that by obeying the law of Moses, they had assured their place in God's kingdom? I don't know about that. They, but that's, that's what was considered the way to go is to observe the law of Moses, that uh, it's epitomized but not limited to the Ten Commandments, and uh, you live by them. Uh, Jesus spoke to a couple different people in the Gospels and said uh, the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. The law and the prophets are summarized in that. And so uh, there's... There was an attitude to say, we've been given these things to do and to obey, and we must do them. What we forget sometimes, though, is that these p- people under Moses' covenant, it had a whole lot to say about sin and how to deal with sin. And that's where the sacrificial system came in. Uh, the book of Leviticus, exceedingly important for that, to give them a means to uh, to confess and to repent from their sins when they sin, not if they sin, but when they sin. And so the very existence of the sacrifices as a payment for sin, it shouted that uh, nobody's going to keep this thing. Uh, they're not going to be spot clean. Mm-hmm. The only one who ever was, of course, was Jesus. But uh, they should have recognized that, okay, we set ourselves to keep the law, but we recognize we need help. And so those sacrifices were offered by faith. And Paul makes a big deal out of this, that it wasn't the sacrifice itself. It was the faith in what God said, what made the sacrifice significant, that the sin of the person was transferred to this animal. And then the animal paid the penalty of sin, which is death, Romans Mm. 6.23. So uh, they had to believe that. I like to tease around sometimes. There was no cosmic voice from the clouds after they offered some sacrifice to say, okay, that worked, you're forgiven, next, kind of thing. They had to believe it was true. They had Mm -hmm. to depend on it being true, even though uh, what they saw was an animal put to death and offered Mm. uh, in the temple. Because it's clear their righteousness does not come from external obedience any law. No. It comes through faith. Well, Paul really, (laughs) he nails that one shut, especially in the book of Galatians. He says, the person who wants to live by the law, you got to keep the whole shmeal. (laughs) You can't just Mm -hmm. do pretty good. There's no place for pretty good. And so uh, the the law uh, brings death. 
that that's Paul's whole point was the law acted as our tutor, our instructor to lead us to faith in Christ. Anyone who is honest with themselves, looking at the law and looking at their behavior, realizes I don't measure up completely here. I I screw up, and so I need help. I can't justify myself. So the law had a tremendously important role in salvation, but part of it was to uh, nail it shut that uh, you're you're not going to be able to keep this yourself. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, you go back two chapters and he really nails it shut to say, okay, you've got some people who just go on their actions and say, okay, well, I've never killed anybody. Righteous. That's me. And they beat their chest. Yeah. Well, anybody who's been angry at their brother and called him a, an empty head. Uh, any of you call your brother an empty head when you're growing up? That's that's really convicting. But uh, you've broken that law. Uh, others, very proud of themselves, beat their chest. I've never committed adultery. Oh, really? If you looked upon a woman with lust in your heart, you have committed adultery. Uh, he upped the ante to say it's not just the actions. It's the thought life. It's the the thinking that is going on there, too. And I don't know about you, Bill, but I look at that, and the bar has been set so high, mm-hmm. I can't even see it anymore. There's no way I can attain God's righteousness through my own efforts. It's impossible to justify ourselves before God. Dr. Mark Muska is my guest for the hour, so let's tap into his skill set and ask the questions. 877-933-2484. That's text only. 877-933-2484. You can also email me if you like, bill at myfaithradio.com. Mark, let's walk through this passage in Mark chapter 1. Okay. You can flip to your I'm flipping gospel. Mm-hmm. Mark, Matthew, Mark, this would be the second gospel. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's helpful or not. It is. It. I, I thank you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I figured. So chapter 1, uh, verse 12. And at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. Do you have a way of understanding what the Greek language is saying in terms of, is this a loving send? Is it? Yeah, you're not going to get anything much from that. It seems as though uh, the the Spirit convicted, the Spirit uh, laid it on his heart, his mind, to go out in the wilderness. He was compelled, and this was something that the Spirit initiated in him. Okay. Then part two of the question is in verse 13. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. Yep. Now, when I read that, it sounds like there were temptations over the course of 40 days. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there are some believers that think, well, the first temptation didn't happen until he had been After in the wilderness 40 for 40 days. Yeah, it could be that. Uh, the language isn't demanding that he was being tempted all the way through, that Mark might just be summarizing this okay. to say when he spent this time in the wilderness, he went for 40 days in the wilderness and he was tempted by Satan, but he easily could have said at the end of it, he was tempted by Satan. That's permissible in the way this language is written here. So uh-huh. it doesn't mean that he was tempted the whole time. Well, it's kind of a game changer if he's being tormented by Satan throughout those whole 40 days. Mm-hmm. Well, I think Satan made him his number one project oh, I'm sure. uh, during the time he walked the earth. Yeah. I like the way some of the dramatizations of Jesus' life has showed that it's almost like the shadowy person in the in the uh, uh, the uh, outskirts of the scene that is constantly trying to find an opening. Mm-hmm. All right, let's jump to Hebrews ten twenty six. I've heard this verse come up many times. Mm-hmm. 
And it's about those, is it about those who revert to Judaism? Yeah, I think there's some, uh, what did you say, Hebrew 10, 26? Hebrews 10, 26, yeah. if we deliberately keep on sinning after right. we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. Yeah, I think that it's it's especially meaningful to Jews who've lived their entire lives thinking that, okay, if I screw up, I've got to go and find an animal and offer a sacrifice and to have that sin atoned. And especially on Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement in the fall, uh, that would take care of everything for the past year for me. And so I've, I've, got a, I've got access to forgiveness through these sacrifices. And it seems as though the writer of Hebrews is chastising them, maybe mildly here, to say, no, 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 it, it isn't that way anymore. One sacrifice for all. He'll get into that here in, in Hebrews 10, that Jesus once for all offered a sacrifice for sin. And in fact, these he makes a very provocative statement that the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin, that the only sacrifice that has ever been effective for all time was Jesus on the cross 2,000 years ago. That had to have rattled their cages to hear that. But can't you just see the mindset going on here? There's some denominations that practice this with a regular time of confession of sin and then forgiveness being extended on a weekly or a monthly basis in the churches, and people get into this routine, and it's almost like, okay, if I screw up again, I can always just, you know, take this and talk to the pastor about this, mm-hmm. and it can be it can be covered again. And uh, if I'm reading Hebrews right, and there's different theories about it, Bill, and I have to respect that, but if I'm reading Hebrews right, one of his big, big purposes is to nail the door shut for these Jews that there is no hope anymore in the Jewish system now that the Messiah has come and died for the sin of the world. He has inaugurated the new covenant, and it's he says it uh, just in the previous chapter. He gets into this about the old covenant, Moses, and the new covenant, and he says because of this new covenant, it is superior because it's got better promises. <laughs> and because of that, the old covenant is old, obsolete, fading, and ready to disappear. When I f- start feeling bad about myself as a teacher, I used to say, just remember, that's the way you think about your professors, that we're old, obsolete, fading, <laughs> and ready to disappear. And, and it's kind of fun. But that's really powerful to yeah. say that the old covenant is obsolete now. There's no hope. You cannot go back to Judaism and worship God the way your fathers did mm-hmm. before the Messiah did. It's a whole new ball game now with the new covenant. Is that how Christians today are reading Hebrews 10.26, though? Or are they thinking... Wait, uh, my my son or daughter received the knowledge of the truth, right? But they keep deliberately sinning, and they have no regard for God's mm-hmm. uh, moral law. And right. and what's going to happen to them? Yeah, this is one of the passages that is uh, discussed intensely on this idea of uh, someone maybe falling out of the arms of God and right. losing their salvation. Uh, the one four chapters earlier is even a bigger one in Hebrews chapter six when. The writer says, if someone's tasted of the heavenly gift, partaken of the Holy Spirit, and then falls away, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance. And so, whoa, you know, not only do they lose their salvation, they can't ever get it back again, the way that's written. And so I think there's answers to that, though, Bill. And part, of, and part of it is this thing. He's writing to these Jews, and he's trying to shock them out of this mindset that they've had for 1,500 years. Yeah. Plus, Mark, I know people who are intellectually persuaded but not spiritually transformed. Right. 
Right. So there are there are mitigating factors that have to be brought into the equation there. Yeah. We, we like to oversimplify things sometimes, mm-hmm. and, and that can get us in trouble. Yeah. Dr. Mark Muska is my guest. Ask the professor. So all you have to do is text over whatever question you'd like me to ask on your behalf. I will do so. 877-933-2484-877-933-2484. If you like uh, email, bill at myfaithradio.com. Be right back. We would love for you to share your story about why you love Faith Radio and what has Faith Radio changed the way you think about something or even how you live. We want to hear from you. Your story can encourage others and glorify God. Share what you love about Faith Radio by calling 877-933-2484 and leaving a message today. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness morning by morning new mercies I see all I have needed thy hand hath provided I'm in studio with Dr. Mark Mosca always glad to be here with my friend and we're talking today um, about whatever it is you would like to discuss and it's called Ask the Professor so any question Text it over. I will ask on your behalf. 877-933-2484. Great is thy faithfulness is Mark's walk-up song. Mark, if there was only one song you could listen to for the entire rest of your life, would it be that song? Probably. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It means a lot. It's so good. So Mm -hmm. good. Now, as we talked earlier a little bit about uh, covenants, that word triggers in my head the idea that there are a lot of covenants that... Some people understand, others don't. Maybe if you don't mind doing a little touch-up teaching on maybe the three big ones. Yeah. The covenant with uh, Abraham, Moses, and David. Yeah. Well, I'm going to add a bonus covenant, too, with the new covenant in there, too. Well, that, yeah, that, okay. that, so that goes without three, saying. Three plus That's one. the most important yeah. one. Yeah, you've got to throw in. At right now, for ten, next 10 minutes, you can get the fourth covenant for no extra charge, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we buy in bulk and pass the savings on to you. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think these covenants are very, uh, they outline for us, they give us the structure of the story of the Old Testament and the story of the New Testament, for that matter, of... I think the the first one that you mentioned there with Abraham, there's there's ones before that, but the one with Abraham is huge in Genesis 12, mm-hmm. and we know it's big because uh, Moses writing the book of Genesis, he repeats it several times after Genesis 12. And so, you know, my teacher part of me says, something that's repeated like that, pay attention, it's it's important. And so... You're going to see this thing repeated several times in Genesis. But in Genesis 12... He takes Abraham and he says, Abraham, I will bless you and I will make a great nation out of you and I will bless that nation and all those who bless you I will bless, all those who curse you I will curse. And then in uh, uh, Genesis twelve three, he says, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all the peoples, I'm sorry, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. And that is... I think it's the axis for the story of the Bible. 
because the story of the Bible is that God blesses sinners who don't deserve it through his actions on our part. And he promises to bless us through Abraham. Uh, It's very significant that when Matthew starts his gospel, the first verse, he says, this is the genealogy of the Messiah, the son of Abraham, the son of David. So right from the beginning, Matthew's probably writing to a Jewish audience. He's going to connect Jesus with that son of Abraham. Mm -hmm. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed, and Jesus is the one that's going to fulfill that, that through him, all the families of the earth have access to God by faith. And so that's that's just enormous Yeah, that those people now are a people that are blessed by God. And you just trace their history through the Old Testament. It's fun because God protects them. They're in the wilderness and these other nations are trying to clobber them in the times of Moses and God protects them. Balaam is called to curse Israel by Balak, uh, the king. And uh, uh, Balaam won't do it because God said, these people are blessed. Don't you curse people that are blessed. And so it just follows them all the way through, whether they're faithful or not. It's a it's a promise that God gives them. And there's and you can't add conditions to it. Uh, even the law of, of Moses that came about 500 years later, the covenant with Moses, this is where God formed Israel into a nation. It's almost like the constitution and Independence Day for Israel is there in uh, Exodus 18, where they sacrifice animals, and God now makes a covenant with the people that he is their God, and they are his people, and they are a unique nation that God is their king. And that goes for the next uh, 400 years or so, even though it doesn't work out real well, they can't handle that uh, very well, but God is their king. And so, uh, but, uh, and that's where the the commandments come in. This is like the constitution. This is like the law for the nation. This is the way they're going to prosper and have order in the nation is by keeping the law. And it gets very detailed at times about doing business in the nation and how you treat people fairly in that. Very much nuts and bolts of how uh, civilization has to operate if it's going to operate smoothly. But uh, this is unique. Uh, they are called to keep the law. And uh, does that mean now that they're going to be saved by keeping the law? No, that they still are saved by trusting that they're the people of blessing of Abraham. And and uh, uh, Paul makes a big deal out of that in Galatians chapter 3, where he says, a covenant that came 400 years later under Moses did not invalidate the promise that was given by God to Abraham. So they're still going to be blessed by faith. I didn't mention that. In Genesis fifteen six, God shows Abraham the stars and he said, so shall your descendants be. And then in verse 6, it says, and Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's what justified him. He believed God and his promises. Didn't God show him those stars in the daytime? I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> think of it, though. Look at the stars at night, and you see, so should your descendants be. Yeah. There was no reason for Abraham to believe that at that point. He didn't even have a kid. You're right. And he was really old. Yeah. And so Sarah even laughed when the angel said that she was going to have a son. Not a great idea. That's why they named him Isaac. Isaac means laughter. Yeah. So think of the laughter and the joy when that (laughs) child was born. Yeah. 
uh, to her. So, but that Moses, that's huge. Then the covenant to David, the third one. Am I yammering on too long? No, here? I like the okay. yammer. That's uh, why I bring you on it to yammer. Oh, okay. Uh, the third covenant, the covenant to David, another 500 years later, about 1000 BC. This is where God, through Nathan the prophet, he promises David that one of his sons will sit upon the throne of Israel forever. And that's where the messianic promise really comes into focus. It's no coincidence that one of the titles for Jesus in the New Testament is people call him Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That was a royal title. For G- That's his kingly title as the son of David, and he indeed will rule forever mm-hmm. on the throne of David. And so that's, that's really fun. And then that's that's me. My phone is talking to me here, so I forgot to silence it. <laughs> yeah. I've got a little... Uh, ooh, Sounds like going a clown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> got a clown show going uh, on it, here. It is. It is. That's kind of... And then the fourth covenant is the new covenant in Jeremiah 31. This is where God says he's going to make a different covenant with Israel and Judah, not like the old covenant with Moses, but he's going to write their law and his, his commands on their hearts. And then he says, and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. I'm going to forgive their sin. And you know what's really cool? Jesus inaugurated it on the night of the Last Supper. Remember what he said? This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Yeah. And wow. He, ina- I got chills. he inaugurated it that night and he went to the cross to make, wow. make it happen. I love that. So we have access to forgiveness of sins and we have God's law written on our heart because of what Jesus did to inaugurate the new covenant. So mm-hmm. those four covenants, you put those together, pretty good summary of the message of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. I have a quick question here, Mark, sure. Um, sure. from a listener that says, I usually listen to the program in the morning, so I need to try to win her over. Oh. So it'd be really helpful if you answer this question well. Oh. All right, here's the question. You're putting pressure on me. Yeah, well, pressure's not bad. Can Mark talk about that form of government that God wanted for Israel? Yeah, it was a theocracy. A thea- theos is the word for God, okay. and krasi means, you know, to be ruled. So it was, they were to be ruled by God. He was their king. They did not have a human king. At Sinai, he became their king. Now, they screwed it up royally through the book of Judges for the next 350, 400 years. They couldn't handle it with God as their king, and so he had to come and discipline them repeatedly. Mm-hmm. And by the end of that time, uh, it was obvious it was not working, and so he granted their request to have a human king like all the other nations, and that's when Saul became king in First Samuel. But for the ideal government that he had was God was their king, the priests and the order of the priesthood would conduct the spiritual life and the sacrifices in the temple. They would have prophets that would come to them to give them revelation from God and to guide them when they needed it. And they could live by that law as a community, as a civilization uh, under the stipulations that God gave them. So it was a... uh, I don't like to say monarchy because mm-hmm. that means a human king. So mm-hmm. it's a theocracy. It's like a monarchy, but God is their king. I like that. And I hope that helps answer the question. And I, and there's more answers like that on Afternoons with Bill. So I hope you continue to listen. There you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dr. Mark Muska is my guest. Ask the professor. Have some great questions coming in. Keep them coming. We've got time for yours. 877 2484. Thanks for sending questions over. 
It is time for more of Ask the Professor with Dr. Mark Muska. And Mark, your answer was so good. This last listener said, ah, thanks, good answer. I'll be listening again. Hey, way to go. So thank you for helping me get another mm-hmm. listener on board. There you go. I appreciate that. All right, lots of great questions coming in. Here's one. How are we forgiven but judged? Yeah. Are we judged for every word we speak? Yeah. Uh, every word, uh, we are uh, judged by our deeds, including our words. But uh, thankfully, we have one whale of a defense attorney. Nice. And in fact, he even comes and takes the penalty for us. That is the heart of the gospel, that all these things that we do and all the things we ever will do yet in the future are covered by the death of Christ uh, for us. And so that makes it possible for Jesus to say, I just read this to Rosie on the break, uh, John five twenty four. Uh, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. doesn't say will have eternal life, has eternal life, and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. So we will be judged, and I don't know how dramatic God wants to make it, but he could have Jesus at the side of the judge's table there, and as soon as God says, look at all this for Bill Arnold, and Jesus will step in and say, and paid by my action on his path. Wow. And God's gavel will come down and say, justified. Uh, just makes me weepy. It's nice. The best. Yep. The best. Yep. Great image. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And thanks for using me in your example. Well, you're just among the rest of us. I could have used me and Rosie and everybody. No, but you yeah. used me, so I felt special. Nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Here's another question, Dr. Mark Mosca. Um, John 1, 1, probably one of my favorite verses in terms of how mm-hmm. profound it is. Can you describe what the word is and what it means about Jesus and the Trinity? Yeah, this uh, verse is, uh, John is really kind of a fun writer because uh, this guy's a fisherman. Uh, he doesn't have the rabbinic training that so many of the scribes would have had and the Pharisees and that. But this guy, uh, under the hand of the Holy Spirit working in him and through him, he writes stuff that's really, really good. And uh, the Gospel of John starts out with a bang where he says to him, uh, says to start the Gospel, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that verse says, uh, when I was uh, in seminary and we were studying, studying Greek, this was one of the first passages we looked at because the way that this is constructed is the only way that John could have said that Jesus was God and he was distinct from the Father. So then the idea of the Trinity is able to come in. So there is one God. That's what we believe as Christians. But he is manifest as three persons who all are fully God in and of themselves. And they're united. They don't cancel each other out. They don't uh, taint one another. They are perfectly united. But 
uh, John could not have said this. Uh, there, uh, there was a, a, a great study that took place for quite a number of years to really understand the construction of this verse in the original language. And it's the, the conclusion that the Greek scholars came to was this was the only way that John could have said this to keep Jesus distinct from the Father and yet at the same time advocate that he is fully God himself. So it is, it's a wonderful verse. I love that. There's another question from a listener. So John the Baptist baptized with water, but Jesus baptized by the Holy Spirit and fire. Mm -hmm. Can you explain the fire part? Is that the fire inside of us that makes us up to be on fire for God and do his will in our lives? Yeah, I, it's possible uh, that this uh, expression is not ever really explained to us. Uh, we see more about uh, Jesus uh, baptizing with the Holy Spirit because uh, Jesus makes this explicit in John chapters 14 through 16. He talks a lot about the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is the upper room uh, talk that Jesus has with the disciples just before he's arrested. He's going to go to Gethsemane after this, and he'll be arrested and put to death. So it's his last time with the disciples. And in chapters 14 through 16, he talks a lot about the Spirit, and he uses a term for him. Uh, the original language, he's called the paraclete. And this word means something along the lines of an encourager or a comforter. My favorite word for it is is he is going to be their companion. He will be with them just like a companion. And uh, Jesus makes it clear that he is the one who will send this companion from the Father. The Father and the Son will send this companion, and they will be with him. So the idea of Jesus baptizing with the Spirit, yeah, that makes perfect sense. But uh, I may be mistaken. I don't think it's ever explained, though, exactly what it means that Jesus will baptize with fire. It could be the fire of the regenerated new life within us, the passion that we have. It could be the tongues of fire that that appeared to the apostles in Acts chapter 2 when they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. They're uh, possibly uh, connecting those two ideas. So uh, I think we have to say uh, maybe he uh, meant all of those things when he talked about uh, John, uh, uh, Jesus baptizing with fire. Mm Mm-hmm. Thank you for that answer. Dr. Mark Muska is my guest. Ask the professors. So send your questions over, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Mark, here's a question that came in. Uh, Did God create the Big Bang? Because in Genesis 1, it says that God said, let there be light, and there was a great light, similar to an explosion. Mm -hmm. The reason I ask this question is because of the James Webb Space telescope. Yeah, that telescope phenomenal. is something, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's phenomenal. Have you seen some of these pictures where they compare that to the Hubble years ago, and it's just spectacular in how much more detail and clarity that it has, mm-hmm. isn't it? It's just amazing to, to look at these things and to think of the creation and God making this happen. It just uh, it, it turns us toward our Creator. But uh, it's per- perfectly plausible. I'm not going to buy in fully to the Big Bang Theory because it seems as like these physicists, they change things up every few decades or centuries, and they have other theories as far as how everything came uh, came about. And so uh, the way science treats this, I, I, it's plausible that there was a Big Bang, and this could be when he created light, uh, usually with uh, uh, 
uh, lightning storms, at least, you get a big light and then a big boom. And so it might have been the the big bang. But uh, I don't know how closely I'd tie those two things together. Mm -hmm. Uh, We can have confidence that the the Lord God Almighty is the creator and the author of this. And exactly how those origins took place, we're still examining that. We're still in the process of studying it. Mm Mm-hmm. Mark, what does it mean um, that God gives strength? I, I I think I hear that in a lot of verses in the Bible. They they speak of the the idea of getting giving strength. I don't think it's easy to understand. I mean, hmm. would it be physical power like with Samson, or uh, you know, you think of some of the other instances in Scripture where, in First Samuel chapter thirty, verse six. Um, David found strength in the Lord his God. And I think we all want strength. Right. Lots of it. And Boo for weaklings, right? Well, viva, I mean... Viva strength. Yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. so when we hear about God giving strength, and when we ask for strength, what are we asking for? Well, I, I don't know. I, I think the, at, its, at its root, we're asking for the capacity to be who we desire to be and to do the things that we should do and we desire to do as followers of Christ so we can please him with our lives. And much of this comes from the Holy Spirit. I mean, that is, in fact, directly associated with God's power in Acts 1.8 when Jesus says to the disciples just before he ascends, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, in this case, that power is the power to be able to witness to Jesus effectively, uh, starting in Jerusalem and then going around the world. And so this power is also shown in signs and wonders and miracles that are done in the book of Acts and continue to be done uh, in the the annals of the church through the centuries. So... uh, this sometimes is associated with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, the works of power or uh, 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 works of strength is one of the gifts of the Spirit. And so it could be something like that. I like to associate it with the strength, the moral strength that God gives us to resist temptation. That That's a wonderful thing when you know, especially in areas you have that are weaknesses, that uh, if God doesn't help, you're toast. You're you're gonna you're gonna have a problem here, and you see him come through and rescue you and give you the strength and the power to say no to temptation and not to succumb to it. Sometimes I think that's much more awesome than uh, some of the the miraculous things that we like to celebrate. Uh, that that moral strength is is huge. Do you have a any recommendations when people feel temptation? like a a little couple of checks you can bring to your mind right away when you go, ooh, I'm getting tempted. What's step one? What's step two? Yeah, I think that the uh, it depends on the temptation, of course. But sure. The, 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 the way to equip for that is to get your nose in the scriptures and especially to uh, read and think about and study and memorize and recite the promises that are given for us to be able to overcome those kinds of temptations. First one that comes to mind for me is 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. 
know, no temptation has right. come upon you and overcome you that is not common to man. And with that temptation, God provides a way of escape also. So keep that in mind and depend on the Lord to give you that exit, <laughs> the fire exit from that temptation. And it's going to go a great, uh, it's going to have a, a great uh, power to resist. Mm-hmm. Mark, can you talk a little bit about uh, the parable of the leaven? I know it's found in two Gospels. Pretty simple story. It talks about the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked mm-hmm. all through the dough. Mm-hmm. Then we also uh, hear about some of the... And, and that's and that's the end of the parable. That's it. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like uh, one verse. <laughs> yeah. Boom, and you're going, wait, 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 Jesus, what are you talking about? Uh, if I would have been abruptly, a disciple, I would have been attempted, you know, have my hand up. And, uh, <laughs> dear Lord, you know, you got to say more. Uh, that uh, That is over in uh, Matthew 13, uh, 33. 33. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, he, and he has one before that, that's a big two-verser. It's twice as big. It's about the mustard seed. And we can talk about that one too, if you want to. I but would like to. Anyway, leaven, uh, today we call it yeast. Mm-hmm. And you put leaven into bread to make it puffy and soft. Uh, if you don't, if you have unleavened bread, it's kind of like crackers. It's crunchy and it really doesn't go well with uh, peanut butter and jelly to have unleavened bread with that. It's better with leavened bread. Making me hungry. But the way that leaven works, and this is something some of us old people can remember, that uh, it used to be a a lot of, uh, mostly moms, but some dads would too, uh, they would make their own bread at home, and they would have a supply of leaven, but it would be kind of fun that the the leaven would be put in the dough, and then you knead the dough. It's not like knead like I need you, Bill, but it's knead like you you work it. You massage the dough and get that leaven all the way through the dough. And then uh, remember what your mom did before she popped it in the oven, made it into a loaf and popped it into the oven? She'd take a little splotch of that dough, roll it up into a ball, put it in wax paper, and set it on the count, uh, on the in the in the cabinet in the kitchen. And why would she do that? Well, the next time that she made bread, she'd get her dough ready. She'd grab that little ball, plop it in the dough, and knead the thing up again, and voila, the whole thing would receive that leaven. Leaven is alive. It's actually little microbe jobbies. Some people will never eat bread again now that I said that. but uh, they and, And so it infiltrates the dough. Once it gets into the dough... You can't stop it. It's going to leaven the whole lump of dough. And so it. this parable goes real nicely with the parable of the mustard seed. Uh, we can read that in verse 31 of Matthew 13. Uh, Jesus presented another parable to them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all other seeds for or, uh, but when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. And so Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is like that. And what does that mean? I don't think it's real complicated. The, the, it means the kingdom of heaven starts out little, mm. but it grows big. Yeah. It's really small. Yeah. When Jesus leaves, there's 12 <laughs> apostles, 11 now, that aren't real sure of themselves. Yeah, right. And look at the church today. Yeah. So it starts little and it grows big. And now the parable of the leaven gets the idea too to say, yeah, the kingdom starts little, but you can't stop it. Mm-hmm. Once it gets into the world, 
the Jews persecuted it, it overcame them. The Romans persecuted it, it overcame them. The Nazis persecuted it, it overcame them. You can't stop it. It spreads. Dr. Mark Muska is my guest. We'll take a break and be right back with more Ask the Professor. Time for your question, 877-933-2484. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Welcome back to the show. We don't have much time left, but... Time for your question. Send it over, 877-933-2484. Dr. Mark Muska is in studio. Ask the professor. Here's one, Mark. Where are angels in the hierarchy of created beings? In Hebrews 2.7, it says Jesus was briefly below the angels. Mm-hmm. That's because he took on a human nature, but then he's higher than the angels now. Mm-hmm. So evidently, the spirit beings were ranked very highly in the in the cosmos of things, uh, higher than humans. Yeah, but then uh, Jesus says that, uh, or I'm sorry, Paul says that we will judge angels someday. He says you, you wow. should be able to settle your own disputes in First uh, Corinthians six there, because uh, you're going to judge angels someday. So the hierarchy is there. Uh, humans may be created a little lower in angels, but uh, Jesus died for human beings, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not for angels. Right. This one uh, you'll have to interpret for me. Okay. What word did Job have? And the site is Job twenty three twelve, Job six ten, Job twenty two twenty two. And what's the word? What word did Job have? And I was quickly trying to look one hmm. of these passages up. Maybe I don't even understand the question. Job six ten says, "Then I would still have this consolation, my joy in unrelenting pain." that I had not denied the words of the Holy One. Hmm. I don't know. It, I, just looking at it, I haven't studied it real carefully, but I would I, I imagine it's the words of God, what yeah. God has spoken to him and reassured him about. So, mm-hmm. But I'm not sure. Okay. What is that God is no respecter of persons? Yeah, there's no preferences. The This is one of the great truths of Christianity that uh, God does not give preferential treatment to anyone. We are uh, all on level playing ground. James makes a big deal out of this uh, ramifications for the church. It's one of the things we're wrestling with today as far as uh, uh, prejudices and bigotry, uh, stereotyping, all those nasty things where we separate out certain groups. And uh, I mean, I'll go back to that promise of Abraham in Genesis 12, all the families of the earth will be blessed through wow. uh, Abraham's descendants, that uh, God does not show preference. So the rich don't have preference over the poor. Uh, one ethnic group doesn't have it over the other. Men don't have it over women. Kids don't have it over grannies. Uh, nothing. There is uh, There is no preference with God. He chooses us uh, based on his own good pleasure and 
none of us deserves it or have higher rank in the kingdom. Mm-hmm. You you know that old statement that the ground of the cross is level. There's no there's no preference. Mm-hmm. Mark, talk about how important it is to be encouragers. Oh man, you can find critics anywhere. They're a dime a dozen. Ask somebody, okay, what's wrong with this? Oh, blah, 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 blah. Well, what's right about it? Mm-hmm. Mm. Huh. Sometimes we struggle. It's it's a uh, it, it's a corrosion of the soul, I think, sometimes when we get beat down by life and things don't go the way we want them to. We see the world politically or economically struggling, and it can sour us if we're not careful. But to come back to what we know is true and what God has promised us, that that's encouraging. Just think of it, Bill. Uh, we know the end of the story, and it's a really good ending. And so if that doesn't encourage us, I don't know what will. I just uh, was speaking with a friend about this the other day, that he was working out in the gym, and he saw this uh, man and wife working out, and the guy was just being really hard on his wife. And uh, my friend had an opportunity to talk to him a little bit about this and say, you know, you're just really kind of critical. And he said... This man broke down and cried. He said, it's just something that bothers me, and I catch myself with this. And would you pre- And it ended up that he asked my friend to pray for him about this. And so we can, just, we can start getting going down a certain side of the mountain of either discouragement and critical or encouraging and affirming and uh, strengthening people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, a lot of the time it just takes a, a minute or two just to step back and mm-hmm. say, what am I doing here? How do we best address people that have a crisis of faith? That's a really good question. I wish there was a one size fits all for oh, that. Oh, me too. Where you could just put in some formula for Yeah. You. Check out this app. But so many, so many things bring about those crises in faith. Uh, generally, a great approach is to gently encourage, but to uh, draw the person to step back and to remember what they know. Um, many times these crises of faith take place when we caught up in circumstances and it's almost like getting carried along with the tide or the current of the circumstances and we we forget what we know. It's just a great thing to be able to step out of all that and just remember, wait a minute. Things are happening now, and I don't understand what God is doing, but I've seen him work powerfully in my life in the past. Mm-hmm. But it takes an effort to step out of that rush of the moment to, to do that. But otherwise, it would it would depend on the, the de- details of the circumstances. Mm-hmm. Mark First Peter 3, 8 says, Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Amen. Amen. Anything else you want to say? No, just repeat it. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. And I suppose the be like-minded is to be like-minded spiritually. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Great words. They belong on a bulletin board someplace. They they do. On a bumper sticker. Mm-hmm. But we... Um, might be lacking some sympathy, might be lacking love, and might be lacking compassionate and humility yep. in nowadays. It, it, it happens. Yeah. I mean, if we do a, a personal diagnostic check, how are we doing in that department? 
I would say not bad to check yourself out. And it's great to encourage each other with that, where you have the kind of friends that can speak to you sometimes and tell you things you really don't want to hear, but you need to hear. Mm -hmm. And I thank God for friends like that. Mm -hmm. Psalm 24, there's a verse that says, the Lord, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the Mm -hmm. world and all who live in it. Mm -hmm. He owns everything, doesn't he? He does. Whether we want to acknowledge it or not. A lot of people don't. He made it, and it's all his. I think that's a good way to end. Is it? Well, we're out of time. We are. we got a minute left. Oh. So might this um, uh, be an opportunity for you to listen to what God's telling you? Maybe you can uh, reach out and encourage someone tonight. I've been encouraged today mm. Yep. twice. And I got to tell you, I'm having a great day. Yep. Because someone encouraged me. It turns the whole tide of the day, doesn't it? It absolutely turns it around. Yep. And even once every couple of days or a week or a month even, you know, makes a difference. But I got two in one day. Isn't that great? Oh, it's, I'm just having a great day. Yeah. Fantastic. And seeing you would be three. Oh, it's fun to talk. It is fun to talk. Thank Mm -hmm. you for opening your Bible and Mm -hmm. speaking um, what God is telling you to say. And I think that's all we can trust is that we go to God's word and we as Bereans, we study what it says and we measure what you hear and yep. then you and go, go out and live it. Go out and live it, yeah. yeah. Dr. Mark Musk has been my guest. Thank you, Mark, for another great hour of Ask the yep. Professor. Thank it's you for fun. spending time with me today. And thanks to uh, Patrick and uh, Monday Afternoon Mix, Rosie B and David Miles. It's been a great uh, a couple of hours and I look forward to Once again, being with you tomorrow. Look forward to it. Have a great night, everyone. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.